Welcome back to another podcast in a car. Um, probably this weekend I'll do one uh, from uh, a stable, non-moving environment. Uh, but uh, I <clears throat> ran into this, and I just wanted to kind of share it and let you know uh, that all things out there are not necessarily uh, safe. Yeah, we know NSAIDs have problems. We know that uh, uh, other drugs like opioids, of course they have problems. We know that benzodiazepines, uh, we know that uh, you know, some, some of the uh, other central nervous system depressants and even anti- antidepressants themselves have side effects and problems. So we try to mitigate drug interactions and problems with these drugs uh, on a patient-by-patient basis. So that's every 15 to 20 minutes, we're making a clinical decision based on what we have before us to minimize potential risk. Well, we don't always have information in front of us that makes that story easy. Uh, For example, the anesthesiologist or the person that does regional anesthesia or even interventional procedures uh, sure would like to know you're on St. John's Ward. Well, what do you mean? It's over the counter. It's not that big a deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. Because drugs can have interactions, and those interactions can be synergistic or 1 plus 1 equals 4. Okay, so there I am, minding my own business, uh, taking... Uh, history and uh, trying to figure out the pharmacologic prejudice of the individual in front of me who states really the only thing that helps them, of course, oxycodone, and I, I can't have anything with acetaminophen in it, and that would be um, oxycodone. Well, the world understands that that's a really good drug, and in the right uh, application, it's the right drug, okay? But I didn't, really don't know this person. Okay. Do you take anything else? Nope. And so the tale goes this way. We are talking and going down a decision tree. We've gone through that on another podcast a couple back. And we're looking at the differential diagnosis and the history and physical, putting it all together. And we're trying to come up with some type of conclusion that leads us to a realistic and safe endpoint. And so, to this end, I don't know why I asked this, but I'm going to ask it more. Do you take anything else kind of like, you know, uh, something fanciful? Um, you maybe get it uh, at a, a shop or online or something like that. And you know what I'm thinking? CBD is freaking everywhere. And that's what I'm kind of asking about because... Well, quite frankly, this this person before me was the kind of person that was not not uh, anxious about therapy, but uh, sorry, my radio turned on. <laughs> uh, it was important to them to have kind of a maximized pain relief and uh, a minimal participation. In other words, physical therapy, interventional procedures and um, other approaches that I think are really good to help us minimize escalation of controlled substances. 
Okay, so what's the answer? I take Kratom. Kratom. Okay, I've heard this. I've seen this. This is the problem. When we do a drug screen, a point-of-care cup, the initial, like, either Federal 5 or uh, sometimes 11 panel, 13 panel, depending where you get your cup, <clears throat> helps us understand pretty common drugs. THC, marijuana, uh, uh, benzalicanine, uh, metabolite, which is from cocaine. It's very accurate, by the way. Um, <clears throat> opioids, not so accurate. Uh, oxy, not so accurate. But, I mean, it's, it, it's our direct um, decision-making um, to consider sending it off for confirmation. That goes to a more sophisticated system. And without going down that rabbit hole, basically, uh, of course, it's more expensive. We don't want to send every drug screen off uh, for a confirmation. All right, so what do I have here? Kratom. Well, okay, this is the thing about Kratom. Um, I started looking this stuff up about a year ago because it was showing up. It doesn't show up unless you ask for it on the complicated panels. But every once in a while, um, I had a patient uh, kind of admit it to me, so I sent the panel. And it came back, Kratom. What is Kratom? Well, it's a tree from Southeast Asia. And it in low doses is a bit of a stimulant, moderate doses, anxiety, maybe pain, high doses, <clears throat> a lot of sedation, and very high doses seizures. Uh, so this is not a benign plant, but so many plants are not benign. And some are actually very helpful. Think of digitoxin, okay? That's for the heart. And some plants... Um, are desirable by patients. They think it really helps them, like uh, think medical marijuana. So what we have here is a completely unrecognized drug by the FDA. It's uh, certainly not endorsed by the FDA or approved in any form. And I don't see any studies, and I've looked for studies. There's nothing out there on Kratom. It's this kind of orphan product you can get on the Internet, who knows the purity? No one. You can get it in stores, uh, these CBD stores. What's the purity? No one knows. <clears throat> so you're taking it kind of on faith, okay? And you can get it in a capsule. You can get it in tea. I guess you can smoke it, chew it, you know. It's going to, the delivery system is going to be broad. And <clears throat> what happens is it interacts uh, with opioid receptors, Okay, Mitragene and the uh, 7-hydroxy form are the active components. Some patients really believe what they read on the Internet uh, to the extent that it doesn't matter if it doesn't have evidence base behind it. Uh, the I think it therefore it is crowd uh, reads it on the Internet, Dr. Google, and <clears throat> it must be correct. It does have an opioid-like effect. Therefore, it has a pain relief effect. Well, that's not what I see. When they come in uh, on Kratom, they want more pain medicine. Question mark. Does that mean that the opioid receptors are upregulated? And so you've got to take more uh, through the concept of tolerance? Or w what is really going on? Well, we don't have studies. I don't know. 
but I do know that this question mark out there called Kratom is far more mysterious to me than THC, the active ingredient in uh, cannabis. And cannabis is what marijuana comes from. So um, here I have this drug or active plant ingredient that does have drug-drug interactions. Um, So what are the side effects? Well, I mentioned a few of them, um, but seizures are, are pretty serious, and they can result in uh, not just one person having a problem, but if you're driving, you can hurt somebody else, uh, either in the car with you or in the opposing lane. You get the picture, okay? In 2017, they attributed 44 deaths to Kratom. Now, most of them had other illicit drugs in them, but a few of them did not. It was just Kratom. So the question is, um, what's a guideline here? We don't have one. What's the addictive potential? It involves the opioid receptor, so it probably has an addictive potential. Is it a heavy potential? Is it like the oxycodones of the world or the hydromorphones or some of these drugs that kind of grip you? You know, like Oxycontin did. Well, um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, So the word is still out on Kratom, but I do not recommend it because I don't know what it does. And I don't know how it affects you as an individual uh, due to the factors that we, we constantly are trying to drive home. We don't know the purity. We don't know where it came from. Because it's not FDA regulated, um, we don't know the content. It might be adulterated. As we heard on a previous podcast about CBD, uh, the Journal of Medical, uh, American Medical Association um, looked carefully at uh, Internet sources. They looked at 84 products, and it was all over the map. Some of the products didn't even really have much CBD in them, and others had significant adulterants. So, Kratom will out. Check it off the list. Okay, let's talk about something else that's really important. All right, let's talk about uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. I see this, and I think it's underreported, particularly in those that suffer from pain. PTSD is complicated, it's complex, and it's poorly um, understood in most communities, uh, particularly some of the pressured medical communities like family practice, internal medicine, kind of real limited with patient time to ask really important questions. Now, anyone can acquire this. Um, As a matter of fact, you may have heard of shell shock or, you know, some of these uh, returning veterans that are they're affected they're absolutely affected 15 percent from vietnam 12 percent from the gulf and it's a fairly prevalent problem and with that many people uh affected by ptsd in the military what's going on uh, in the general population and it's not a small number it's eight million okay um it's so prevalent that it has its own um, its own demographics. Uh, women uh, get it 
more than men, two to one. Uh, and over the lifetime, it uh, affects women about 10% and men about 5%. That's a rough number. I think that's a little high, but um, there's a lot to be said about PTSD. Really, there's four groups. These things uh, are divided in groups that are really more by how folks react. Because this is a reaction-focused um, problem uh, in medicine. Uh, anyone can acquire it. I mean, it's traumatic, emotional events that occurs in somebody's life and is triggered. And there are four groups. There's the <clears throat> intervention group. There's the avoidance group arousal and reactivity group, and cognition and mood. And to better understand these four groups is to um, look at the root word. Um, So like, for example, avoidance. Um, Some people that have had such a traumatic event, they avoid at all cost triggers. They don't want to be around it. Um, And they may have had a horrific car accident, and they just... They just hate driving places, and they turn into introverts. Then um, there's the arousal reactivity, uh, cognition, and mood. Um, well, you know, it does affect mood, and a lot of folks are depressed uh, that have PTSD and therefore turn to substances, uh, chemical coping. All right. <clears throat> so what's the treatment and what's the therapy well cognitive behavioral therapy is really good in pain and it's really good in ptsd why am i focusing on ptsd because folks in pain fall into one of those four categories often and that would really put them in the category of either a ptsd like problem or a real problem okay well, we can treat them with uh, antidepressants. I think Cymbalta or um, uh, Sertraline, any of these other uh, drugs, would be pretty good, uh, especially, uh, I would say, Cymbalta because it's uh, labeled for some painful conditions like fibromyalgia, uh, neuropathic pain, and it, it works with headaches too. And when you look at... Um, some of the more recent uh, treatments, uh, Eugene Lipoff, whom I know, uh, a really smart guy, um, has been an advocate, particularly those uh, from uh, the military, to consider uh, sphenopal or I mean, stellate ganglion block. Uh, that's a block where we block a specific uh, ganglion or group of nerves uh, that's in the neck over one of the vertebras. And it uh, decreases the sympathetic outflow. It uh, is effective with certain um, painful disease processes like uh, CRPS and the like. And that's been looked at in pretty big studies both here and abroad. But the uh, RCTs, um, uh, the control trials, they're pretty inconclusive. What about ketamine infusions? Well, yeah, yeah, that's possible. Um, ketamine infusions, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, they rapidly elevate mood. And um, PTSD does have mood disorder. And situational depression anxiety is very common. 
So you're going to hear about uh, PTSD more and more as the acceptance goes beyond the military problem of shell shock and returning vets to um, common problems that uh, folks experience in their uh, medical and uh, lifestyle um, journey. So PTSD is important. I hope it's included in your thoughts and in the physician's differential diagnosis uh, or caregiver's differential diagnosis. And you should get uh, help because PTSD is kind of uh, one of those things that just keeps going and developing. And you can be treated, and it's worthwhile getting treated earlier than later. So if you have these mood disorders or arousals that uh, are triggered or you just want to stay away from things like avoidance, um, talk to somebody. Just get out and talk to somebody. Okay, I'm going to move on to something new. I was reading about a drug in uh, trial right now called uh, AT-121. That's what they do when a drug's in trial is they assign it uh, some names and sometimes letters and sometimes numbers. It's a dual action drug at the opioid receptor. It has uh, two actions. It works at the mu opioid receptor. The mu part of the opioid receptor is where pure agonists work, like oxycodones and morphines. And it also works at the nociceptin or fanon um, receptor. That's the NOP receptor. It has this dual action, so it might have a good uh, role to be applied to addiction, but also pain. It seems to have uh, less side effects than regular pain medications. It seems to, um, early on, these early trials, maybe have less addictive potential or dependency potential, uh, but more to come. So I'll let you know as this drug evolves. There's some other ones that are coming out uh, that I'll be talking about. One's in pretty far long phase that uh, might be introduced uh, fairly soon, and um, I want to spend a little time on that one. But I'm just um, going to touch on a, another drug here while we have your ear, and that's tramadol. Tramadol is extremely common, and it's prescribed uh, because folks think, well, it has low abuse potential it has low risk it's uh what you what we want to give people we don't want to give them a pure mu opioid uh, agonist and it's uh really safe well actually it's going to get some uh changes in labeling by the fda it's probably double the risk of NSAIDs to major events uh it's what it looks like in the data anyway it is not necessarily a benign drug so just as it was non-scheduled, it didn't have a schedule, it evolved into getting a schedule for abuse potential, it looks like the FDA is probably going to relabel it that it does have some risk. So that's just kind of an update um, as uh, the opioid crisis has led us to scrutinize uh, medications with any potential abuse potential. Tramadol may be one of them. That's Ultram brand name. It's about one-thirtieth as potent as morphine. It works in a different way than morphine, mostly. 
It does have a serotonin effect, so if you're taking a serotonin reuptake inhibitor or something like that, talk to your doctor or your doctor should know maybe uh, as serotonin uh, risk factors with serotonin syndrome do exist, although I've never seen it. It does have an abuse potential and a habituation potential, and that seems to be evolving. Um, They're claiming it's uh, more common now. Well, okay, I'm going to end it up here. I'm at Publix, and I've got to get some stuff (laughs) at Publix. So, Um, Anyway, tell your friends about this, and please subscribe. Um, I did uh, did this thing where I went to a different platform um, this summer, and I lost a lot of subscribers because they didn't pull the platform over. So let's get that... uh, stuff up so i rank on google higher and more people find me um uh, it's not monetized this is not a monetized uh, channel maybe someday it will be uh they're not inexpensive but right now it's to benefit uh, you the patient and the provider or um, physician and please send any questions i'll read them all uh paininformation.com um and i'll talk to you soon